0: Hello, and welcome to the Human Factor podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name's Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP.
1: And I'm Simon Humphries. I'm a solution architect at SAP.
0: So Simon, this episode promises to be incredibly fascinating. So this episode is Pushing Boundaries to make the planet more sustainable. Uh, I know it's an episode that you particularly have been looking forward to having for quite a while. You're going to be in the hot seat today. You're going to be uh, facilitating. But what are you looking forward to from your perspective in this episode?
1: So first and foremost, I wanted to be in the hot seat for this one. I first saw the guest three years or so ago at an SAP conference And in 10 minutes, she'd just grabbed my attention. She'd completely blown my curiosity out of the water and just left such a lasting impression on me. I just wanted to know more. And now's our opportunity to, to speak with her and understand what motivates her. And for me, that's what's driving my attraction towards this episode. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, there's two words, isn't there? I think in the title of, you know, pushing boundaries, we talk about sustainability a lot. And I know we're going to talk about that in the episode. Our, Our guest today is literally pushing boundaries way further than I can compute. So I think it's about how do we understand the relativity of that? You know, what does pushing boundaries mean to one person, maybe slightly different to the next? So, yeah, I think this is going to be This is going to be incredible. So really looking forward to it. Let's see.
1: So our guest this week is Dr. Adriana Murray. I first became aware of Adriana at an SAP conference in Berlin in 2018, where she was a guest of our HR director in the conference keynote presentation. Adriana is a theoretical physicist. I do hope she doesn't test me on my quantum mechanics knowledge. A technologist and an aspiring extraterrestrial. She is the founder of Proudly Human, Of which we'll talk about more during our episode and she is also a director of the foundation for space development africa an organization aiming to send africa's first mission to the moon the africa to moon project adriana welcome to the podcast
2: thanks so much for having me
1: now for many of us that are considering a new role we look at the usual items such as pay scale location what is the manager like what skills do we need and those sort of aspects but what if there's no baseline what if the role is to create something entirely new And just to double down and make that even harder, what if it's in a hostile environment? Adriana wanted more than just the usual job hunting challenges and volunteered for a one-way trip to colonize Mars. Now, aside from the technology challenges of such an ambitious venture, there's a significant human aspect to that as well, such as creating a new community, working in and being part of a high-performing team, as well as the psychological challenges of breaking links with all that we know of back on Earth. Now, since that time, the Mars One's venture didn't ultimately proceed due to funding, but Adriana then founded Proudly Human, which balances working towards the off-world settlements of the near future with uplifting communities already living in extreme environments on Earth. Proudly Human's off-world project is a series of habitation experiments in the most extreme environments on Earth to prepare for life on Moon, Mars and beyond. The projects will promote companies developing technologies for sustainability, facilitate skills development, boost research, innovation and technology towards off-grid functionality, as well as provide a vision for young people of community spirit in even the harshest environments through grit, imagination, research and technology. But how does someone take such a momentum decision? And then how does someone lean into that and prepare for all the challenges that they raise? So Adriana, you know, let, let's just look at the wider question. Something we've heard on from a number of our guests in previous episodes that we've had is that change is constant. Now, yeah, you know, when we look at sustainability though in our planet, yeah, we ha- I think we have to be more blunt than that. I mean, are we changing quickly enough? Do you think?
2: Yeah. So the developments in science and technology, and in fact uh, across all industries, I think are are happening at an unprecedented rate. Um, another thing we can maybe make a a wide sweeping statement about is that things are not going to get less extreme. Um, When you couple a, a growing population and this is not a population that's using less resources going forward, this is a growing population that's requiring more and more resources to sustain the sort of technological driven lifestyles that most of us lead. And, you know, if you break this down from a physics perspective, we're heading to some tricky times what I do believe, though, is that, you know, the part of the universe that we occupy, namely planet Earth, is a tiny, tiny, tiny uh, pale blue dot in a virtually infinite universe of, of star stuff waiting to be known. So it's sort of this ultimate paradoxical era that we live in, full of conundrums and contradictions where we feel as though we are running out of uh, fossil fuels time you know you name it space um, resources etc although we are also on the threshold um of a completely new era if if we play our cards right that is so definitely an interesting time to be alive um and i think from that perspective we are we are all here for for a reason so if the change feels overwhelming um it's a it's a challenge to us to develop the capacity to to deal with this change. And we we certainly have the tools. Um, Never before has there been an era where... Um, an average human can walk around with the sum of human knowledge in their back pockets, um, namely smartphones, and the penet- penetration of this technology is is fantastic. You know, even across sort of developing areas, people do have access to the internet, um, maybe not permanently, but at some point. So we have this access to everything that we've learned theoretically in, in the past as humanity over the past 200,000 years. But what do we do with this data? What do we do with this information? How do we adapt to the changes that ultimately we are inducing and there comes the conundrum because you know the earth the earth is always always changing and and going through climate shifts and different eras and so on Um, but the the time frame on which this happens is usually quite slow so thanks to our activities which are now so widespread that they are becoming apparent on a global scale um, we are forced to deal with you know self-induced changes that are really keeping us on our toes to put it mildly Um, So that wasn't a very practical answer to your question, but rather, uh, I think, uh, let me say acknowledging that we are all a bit confused at this point. And that's that's fine. That's normal. Um, But what do we do with that confusion is perhaps more more what you're asking. How do we deal with this change? Um, And although things are moving rapidly, I think the past couple of years have been a much needed opportunity for reflection. And however we have done that, whether we've been homeschooling our kids or dealing with the retrenchment at work, or whatever challenges have been thrown our way during the, the pandemic and associated economic lockdowns, it has been a, a moment of um, sort of yeah a pause, perhaps we could say, for reflection. And I think uh, some of the most fundamental questions are, are those that come to mind, which is where do we come from, who are we and where are we going? And I think these questions will always be relevant, no matter what era we are thinking about. Um, yeah, so that that was fairly broad, um, but those are the questions I've been thinking about from a research perspective, at least. Where do we come from? Um, where are we going? You know, and probably the most fundamental of those is who are we? You know, what is our place in this universe? Um, So that that probably hasn't answered your question, but feel free to get more specific.
1: Oh no, that's a super interesting way of framing the 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 changing context. And and you're right; I think there's that degree of confusion about that whole area. Now, I I mean, I mentioned in the introduction about the application for Mars One. Ultimately, it didn't get that sufficient funding to proceed. Uh, And I know you you've moved on from there. It does feel a little bit more like that's postponed rather than cancelled. It feels almost inevitable that we will continue. Uh, striving to to reach Mars and beyond in the future. but in the meantime we've seen other pioneering achievements in the last couple of years. you know we've seen a Tesla go into orbit, for example we've we've sent Captain Kirk to space. but these aren't just vanity projects for billionaires They're, they are pushing back those boundaries and the, uh, you know, it's advancing the technology available to us to to aspire to those new heights. You know, for those that haven't seen it on social media, you know, I'd certainly recommend watching the landings of the the three SpaceX Falcon Heavy booster jets, for example. Because, I mean, th- that was almost art-like in, in the precision that they managed to achieve. And it, it raised hairs on my arms when I was watching it uh, because I can just appreciate how technically challenged that is. So I mean, what inspires you uh, to, you know, to look to the stars and what motivates you to, to volunteer for something like that sort of one-way trip to a, another planet?
2: Yeah, so I think for better or worse, the Mars One project has uh, captured people's imaginations in terms of uh, the trip to Mars, but they are by no means the beginning or the end of human endeavor to explore beyond Earth by no means. So as with vast majority of startups, to raise the billions of dollars that they would have required to single-handedly deliver the first crew of humans on a one-way trip to Mars. So, impressive marketing campaign that has permeated to the extent of uh, Bart Simpson, or Lisa Simpson, sorry, volunteering to go to Mars on the Simpsons, um, Sheldon Cooper um, on uh, the Big Bang Theory, um, and in various uh, popular television, We've, we've seen the Mars One Project literally mentioned. So, I think in terms of inspiring the imagination, they have done a good job. Except for the one-way trip, Um, I have to say that, you know, from a physics technology perspective, if you can get there, of course you can get back. So that was partially a marketing campaign, partially a way to save money and uh, reduce the complexity of the mission. In any case, the Mars One Project is no longer going ahead. So for me, the idea or the, the vision of exploring beyond Earth has been with me since I was about four years old. So I had a strange kind of imagination or daydream one day that I would be uh, part of an endeavor to find a new home for humanity. And this has popped in and out of, of my sphere of activity during my life. So. Um, at age 13, I was uh, first winning the first prize of the local science expo building in a Martian city with categories of power, water, food, communication systems, shelter, renewable energy, et cetera, in our paper mache. Um, not so cutting edge by today's standards for high school students, um, but this was the 90s in, in South Africa and Peter Maritzburg where I grew up. Um, So Astronaut was written in my yearbook every year for a few years. And then um, when I chose my subjects for university, there was no uh, offering of the course of aeronautical engineering here in South Africa. So I said, I'll do physics instead. Um, then quantum physics took me in a kind of other direction because I found this theory absolutely fascinating. Um, finally, a part of science that wasn't completely understood, I felt that it was then worth my time to dive into this sort of un- incomplete part of our understanding of reality. It felt like, you know, the the mystery is surrounding the theory, um, makes one feel, oh, maybe I can make a contribution here because um, everything is not known. Some things are still mysterious and uh, yeah philosophically uh, yeah confusing let's say in terms of understanding quantum theory anyway then i moved on to quantum biology looking at the molecular and submolecular processes and things like photosynthesis And then was taken back to space, as you can imagine, by thinking about what kinds of simple living systems would be able to exist in extreme environments. Um, So the question I was occupied with during my PhD and postdoctoral research was, what is life, basically? Um, So to try to understand biology from the perspective of physics is probably one of the most difficult questions. um, And life is one of the most mysterious phenomena that, that we are aware of. Um, one could argue that aspects of the universe are better understood than some aspects of living systems. Um so this uh, endeavor to really understand ourselves is something where a huge amounts of work still needs to be done. um as Nobel Prize winner um theoretical physicist Richard Feynman said, to to claim to understand something is to be able to create this thing. And as far as I'm aware, anyway, we haven't managed to create living systems in the laboratory, not in the public domain anyway, from scratch. Um, And for me, this is an indication of our lack of understanding of the phenomenon. So it baffles the mind that we don't have a deeper respect for the huge diversity of living systems that we share this planet with. Um, the Planetary Protection Treaty, for example, should apply directly to Earth rather than other planets and moons, uh, if any, in the solar system. Um, but so that—that that was my motivation um, in my, my PhD and postdoctoral work. But let's skip to the developments you've talked about now. Um, so we've been landing technology on Mars since the 1970s. So in fact, we have had the plus-minus technological capability to deliver humans there for almost 50 years. So it's really a a lack of imagination rather than uh, technology deficits, um, presumably, (laughs) being the reason that we haven't uh, landed humans there yet. So it's very exciting that we are going back to the moon this decade, hopefully after some delays with the legal disputes between uh, Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin and Elon Musk at SpaceX. Um, But SpaceX goes forward to develop the lander for the NASA return to the moon hopefully mid of this mid-2020s. And this is fantastic because this would be a, a trial run probably, unless it gets delayed again, for delivering the same kind of technology, the Starship and associated infrastructure with cargo and then with crew to Mars. Um, So of course, Mars is further. The communication delay makes it more complex to deliver things or people there. Um, But uh, in principle, once SpaceX has delivered cargo and then crew to the moon safely and returned the crew safely as well, I think this would be a huge leap towards Um, expanding really. In essence, the moon is part of Earth. The Earth-Moon system is really a single system. So um, this is a great training ground, but the the real leap in my mind is to explore um, next-door neighbour planets. First of all, Venus being rather warm, so Mars is a good choice there. And this is really the first stepping stone out into the solar system. Um, so this is an entry-level requirement for a society that plans to to be spacefaring, and as I've uh, indicated before, you know, being limited to Earth is really—I um, don't remember where I read this on Twitter. I think recently, but it's like living under a bridge and never realizing that there's a road overhead. You know, is to live on a single planet and and not explore the, the surrounding areas, um, and there are many more valuable lessons besides purely as a curiosity-driven exploration um, to understand our planet, and more about the solar system from the perspective of having visited and even established communities in these places. Um, So a really exciting time to to be alive, to be able to witness this uh, leap, which, uh, yeah, I wasn't around during the moon landing, of course. So, um, This is exciting to be alive in this era and hopefully to participate in it. Um, But it also comes at a critical time, I think, where self-reflection on who we are as a species is essential. um, And I think considering ourselves from two planets or or more is really an essential aspect of being able to overcome the hurdles that we face today.
1: I think that's a fascinating description. And I, I just wanted to build on something you were saying there. I mean, you're paraphrasing, you were saying you you want to jump to the unknown. It's the unknown that attracts you. You know, interestingly, other people might say it's the unknown that pushes them back and they want to stay in that comfort zone. So how do you start mentally preparing? For something that you don't know anything about, yeah, you know, is there a thought process you go through? Do you do you have to confront fear? How do you start thinking about doing something that you're not comfortable in doing?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, I I love. Uh... Diving into things that I haven't done before, you know, perhaps some people feel more comfortable in a routine driven existence, but I feel we are fully conscious when we are entering the unknown. We are truly alive when we are considering things for the first time, um, fully awake um, and fully alert and fully aware. And in our yeah, often routine driven kind of urban lives nowadays, I think we've lost touch with what has been a part of our human existence for far longer, which is waking up to the unknown every day, living a kind of hunter gatherer type lifestyle or depending how far back we want to go. So what are the lessons around that? Well, I think, as I said earlier, I don't think things are. Or I believe things are not going to get less extreme. And I don't like to make statements that I haven't thought through. So this is when I'm ready to get behind. So I think uh, jumping even further out of our comfort zones is a great way to prepare for perhaps uh, other types of extremities that that may come our way. You know, whether we are moving to a new place, learning a new language, you know, taking a new job in a different industry or whatever it may be, or physically leaving the planet, I think these are all all comparable on some level um, because they force us to learn. So I think if people are hoping not to have to learn too many things and to live a quiet, comfortable life, I think sadly um, it's it's not the right era that this person (laughs) would be in if ever there was an era where we could get comfortable and predict what would happen each day. This has never been the case, so I can only conclude that we are here on Earth to learn. We are here on Earth to be challenged um, and to advance our knowledge and our understanding of of ourselves um, and the reality in which we we find ourselves. So on a practical level, um, what we are doing at Proudly Human is almost revisiting what exploration looked like a few hundred years ago. Um, The most recent and perhaps closest comparison is the Mm so-called heroic era of Antarctic exploration, um, of like 120 years ago when, Scott Amundsen and Shackleton and uh, that cohort went down to Antarctica with a boat full of crew, including uh, fishermen, artists, carpenters, medics, painters, photographers, you name it. They didn't have communication systems then, but uh, all sorts of scientists and others were on board in order to arrive at what was little known to, to be a continent at the time and then spend a couple of years there in a settlement that the crew had built themselves to return and bring back knowledge to the rest of humanity. Um, So I think this has strong parallels with what the first crews will will be experiencing and contributing and doing on the surface of Mars. So huge, huge respect and congratulations to Elon Musk and the team at SpaceX for the great strides they've made. Um, But we kind of would like to pick up on what happens once we get to Mars, assuming that the Starship delivers crews safely there, um, what will happen next? And I feel there's a a lack of data um, in terms of, what we could expect from a technological perspective and from a community perspective, which is perhaps even uh, more difficult to predict um, than the technology itself, which hopefully is all working well. (laughs) So uh, the Proudly Human off-world projects um, aim to collect data on just the crews of people arriving in isolated and extreme places, setting up camp from scratch, building infrastructure, and uh, living rather technological sort of lifestyles while they are there, doing research, having access to computing power, to the cloud, um, to facial expression recognition during meetings. Um, I could go on Maybe maybe you would focus more on the Awful project as we go. Um, yeah, but that's a brief overview, I think, of getting into the unknown and then uh, we've translated that into something really practical with the Awful project.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. And I've got so many questions to build on that. But, Michael, I think you've got a, a question as well.
0: Yeah. This has blown my mind a little bit, if I'm being perfectly honest. It's fascinating. And, uh, Adriana, all through all of the episodes, we've been trying to tap into understanding the attributes that we as people need to be successful. And I greatly believe that everything in life is relative. But, you know, you, you've you talked today and previously about the importance of purpose and empathy and being curious and, and being in a position to perform. No matter what the outcome is, whether it be going to Mars or somebody doing something local, these are crucial attributes, aren't they? It's not all about the technological advancement. It's still about us bringing ourselves to do something different to achieve a different outcome would, would you agree
2: Yes, so I think uh, boiling it down to basics the requirements for for humans to to live are uh, either not that complex or complex, depending on which which uh, maybe country you're in. So, yeah, for where I am in South Africa, we've had a lot of issues with our power delivery systems recently, leading to load shedding and unpredictable power cuts, et cetera, um, which really makes it difficult to do everything else downstream from having that reliable power connection, interrupting communication systems, et cetera. So, you know, I always like to break it down to the basics that humans require, which is shelter, power. Water, food, and communication systems. Um, so, assuming that those are in place, which they may not be, and uh, technologically, we need to get better at designing cheap, efficient, robust systems that can provide these basic resources. You know, it's shocking that in this current, you know, highly developed era that we live in, we have literally billions of humans without access to safe shelter, clean water, nutritious food, and reliable communication systems. Um, so that we need to do a lot of work on that side. But really excitingly, I think the parallel endeavor of de- developing these kinds of systems for off-world environments really informs how we can deal with climate change, communities living in these kind of extreme conditions, and having access to these basic requirements. So we need to do some work on making those available. But then the much more complex um, Uh, questions come about, which you've just alluded to, which are the community aspects. Um, and I think there are also such strong parallels between thinking about communities, you know, setting up camp on the moon and whatever community we're we're involved in. So whether that's um a corporate community or a community um of people living in the suburb or you know, you're building apartment block, whatever level you're looking on here, these are communities which to some extent are isolated, i.e., they form a group in order to solve certain challenges and Arguably, they're in a rather extreme environment where they have to think on the fly and deal with unforeseen challenges um, all the time. So I'd, I would like to contribute to the data on this topic. And so we plan all sorts of exciting um, ways to collect data when we have these groups of people in isolated places from uh heart rates is really a a great indicator for so many aspects of, of one's daily life from quality of sleep, duration of sleep, how much exercise the person may have had that day. During the meeting, was their heart rate rather relaxed or through the roof in certain moments? Uh, when we correlate this, I think, with the facial expression recognition, then things get quite interesting. How good is the person's poker face compared to their heart rate um, and all other aspects of emotions that may come through in the face or not? Then I think when we combine that with you know video footage of the different meetings, when these conflicts or, or um, when these moments of real community spirit came about. Yeah, I think more research needs to be done on this level in terms of organizational theory, really. You know, we have, if you have one person, you know, that's that's one level of looking at psychology, et cetera, two people, and then three, and then 10, and then a million. There's so much complexity in understanding the dynamics of these systems. Um, that I think coming in agnostically and uh, looking at all, all the way through from governance structures, How would this group mediate conflict? Um, And in the end, I think trying to measure community spirits is uh, maybe one um, more more long-term goal if, if, if we can reach such a point um, what kinds of activities uh, did a morning meditation sec- session influence people's ability to, to feel united as a team? Did karaoke nights have, uh, help with the resolving tension between specific people? MMA afternoon practices, um, you know, these kinds of activities, I think, uh, you know, we engage in them on a daily basis. But have we really measured their impact in terms of their influence on on the group dynamics and I think this is really exciting to apply this knowledge on all sorts of levels um, but also really crucial for when there is a team of people 200 million kilometers away from earth and some you know, conflict arises, of course it will. Um, What is the quickest way to, you know, uh, mitigate the tension and to build some sense of cohesion post post some kind of conflict? So, yeah, really exciting from that perspective. And, yeah, I think you you asked, you know, what different people can bring. But I think rather the question should be, let's take all sorts of different kinds of people and and try to develop insights from that perspective, rather than selecting a crew with our own preconceptions in mind um, to really come agnostically to the situation um, with very diverse teams and, and see what
1: the data tells us. You know, let us look at the work now at Proudly Human because building on what you've just said there you know obviously you have a team at Proudly Human that are very technically capable very experienced very knowledgeable but you also have a psychologist in the team and and that that doubles down on what you're just saying there that it, it's taking that different balance of skills not just the technical skills but those human skills as well because of how then those people will interact with each other and the dynamics of those communities. How do you see those communities forming over time and and how do you see those communities starting from from absolutely nothing in effect?
2: Yeah, so there there are a few ways to to look at this. One way is to think about how migrations um, have happened in the past. So we can reflect on history and look at the positive and negative aspects of of what happened already, perhaps not in a planned way, but, um, you know, there's always value in reflecting back in time. And often it has been desperation that has driven people to move from one part of the world to another. My ancestors, 25% of my ancestors, let's say, on my father's side were French Huguenots, um, who packed up all their possessions as peasant refugees, made their way from France to the Netherlands, and then caught a boat to the Dutch down to the newly established Cape Colony. And I think there are strong parallels between what they arrived to, which was a completely unknown landscape lacking in the infrastructure, although it was the 1600s, they would have had some kind of infrastructure from where they came in, in France, and they're now in Africa having to set up from scratch you know, establish irrigation systems for agriculture. And, you know, happily nowadays, we have a, a thriving wine industry in the Cape, um, partially, of course, because of the French Huguenots. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a powerful, powerful tool to reflect um, on the fact that all of us are the products of someone's journey into the unknown, um, however far back we, we want to look. Um, so this is really what we, what we do as humans. So looking at the yeah, the role of astronauts, I think, and that's what people might typically reflect on, you know, what do astronauts do and how do we create astronauts to go to Mars? But I would argue that there's some strong differences between what we, you know, the current activities of of the people who are astronauts and what the people who will establish the first communities on the moon, Mars, and beyond um, will need to do. So, you know, life in the International Space Station is is. Highly protocol-driven and detail-oriented crew members train extensively on Earth and arrive to existing infrastructure and an existing culture. To some extent, of course, it is multicultural in terms of having many nations participating internationally, Um, but there is some kind of pre-existing culture there. And so that aspect of needing to make decisions on the fly and come up with new strategies is perhaps not as powerful as it will be when the teams arrive in a place like Mars. And so I mentioned again the the Antarctic exploration teams, uh, and not now, because now when you go to Antarctica, you would arrive to quite a comfortable base, maybe even with a minibar, a TV, (laughs) things like that. So I was really excited to have the opportunity to go to Antarctica just in time at the end of 2019. Um, so again, here yeah, people do arrive to existing infrastructure and existing culture, importantly. Um, so what what we are looking at uh, is really taking a, a community and establishing it there. So what kinds of people are necessary for a community? And what I have found to be quite a powerful tool, and also for myself, is to think, you know, what is my contribution to a community in an extreme environment? And people say, oh, but, you know, you've got to, you know, PhD and whatever. And so, you know, your role would be quite natural. What about me? I said, no, quite the contrary. You know, quantum physics is going to be pretty much useless on Mars in the first few months of setting up camp. Um, of course, the tools and the, and the way of thinking, um, et etc. that I've learned over many years will, will, you know, is always part of me. Um, but on a practical level, those are not necessarily the skills. So I think it's a great um, thought experiment for, for everyone to reflect What would my contribution be to a community in an extreme environment, whether it's the desert or under the ocean or Antarctica, which are some of the locations we're thinking of for Proudly Human, kicking off next year, hopefully. And then to say, what is my contribution to my current community? Because aren't we in rather an extreme uh, set of circumstances right now? So I think medics, rather than quantum physicists, medics are probably the first people who come to mind who are indispensable. Um, and you need more than one of these, of course, if the medic is the one who gets injured. And there's some uh, horror stories from Antarctica, of people sort of removing their own appendices, however you said. So two of those is always always a good one, at least. Um, but then we're on to engineers, of course, to be able... Able to fix, repair, rebuild from spare parts that are non existent, those kind of engineering types are essential. Mm-hmm. Researchers, I think, who are, are going to be captivated um, by the experience and thinking continuously about how are they are going to translate their experience and the data that they are able to collect into knowledge that the rest of humanity can benefit from. These are the obvious ones. And after that, I think. It's a great thought experiment, you know, if you are great in the kitchen with uh, making, you know, creative meals, this is really a crucial part of a, of a community is the time where we spend sitting down around the table, eating hopefully interesting food, if not um, you know gourmet <laughs> meals um so food and the experience of sitting around a table is crucial music and and in the antarctic experience in those early early explorers there was often some kind of music player or some kind of instrument that uh, the and they were men at that point said really brought the team together and helped them through those long dark or 24-hour dark periods during the winter in Antarctica. So it's music. um, It's about sharing meals. It's about the the exercise and those kind of routines that we do together. Um, So I believe whatever one's profession or background or or passions or activities are here on Earth, there would be a role for those on Mars. Um, And it's also a way perhaps to reflect on what's most important. So if a lot of a person's time is spent, doing things that don't make sense in terms or, or don't clearly translate into a contribution to a community, um, maybe it's time to think what is the purpose of those activities and maybe to refine one's activities with more thought towards how am I contributing in a positive way towards the people around me, um, whether it's on a planetary level or, or interplanetary <laughs> or beyond.
1: So, I mean, just looking at that then, so, I mean, obviously we're we're all aware with the phenomenon of, you know technical advancement when when working at extremes. but it's it's much more than that, isn't it? I mean, we can we can use that technology advancement also to to look back on our own planet. You talked earlier about you know a billion people without power, for example. Uh, you know there's an, there's a large population source that has diminishing resources, for example. The, these technologies can be retrofitted to help our own planet become more sustainable. When you look at use of technology or recycling usable materials, or even just that creativity aspect as well, and and plugging that back into our existing society. How can organisations themselves lean into this as well as the individual? So what what can organisations be doing? We we know, of course, that they can be um, engaged in recycling projects. For example, we've seen the Amazon initiatives that are going on. But What else can organisations do to really sort of lean into this process themselves?
2: That's a tricky one because I don't want to um, end off this lovely discussion by being too critical about what organisations tend to do to the planet with their profit-driven agendas. Um, I think it's it's really a time for us to reflect on the economic system itself and to ask ourselves whether this competition-based, greed-based, honestly, if you were to describe it to a 10-year-old economic system, is, is uh, serving us any longer. Not to criticize where we've come from, we are where we are, um, it is what it is. But as we go forward, potentially beyond the planet, what kind of ideology do we wanna take with us? And how can this help us to put uh, our track on a more, the word sustainable is overused, nothing lasts forever, but uh, on a more harmonious um, trajectory with respect to our interactions with the planet and with the other species that we share it with. So this is a a few leaps ahead, but um, what I imagine is that once we are able to, and we're almost there, technologically speaking, once we are able to deliver a set of technologies and a group of people to a location in the solar system, whether it's the moon, Mars, or an asteroid, or a moon uh, of Jupiter, or, or wherever it may be beyond, when we are able to deliver the technology and the people to this environment, and then able to live there sustainably, that is really the end of this illusion of scarcity that we have been fed and that we are buying into. (laughs) Competition is driven by the illusion that there is not enough to go around. Um, And this is a fundamental problem if we do stay on the planet, because there is a limit to even the most efficient systems and even eliminating waste, sort of To the utmost degree there is still a limit to the number of molecules that exist on the planet um, if we continue to grow our numbers as we are so we can either wait for a natural disaster or a human-induced disaster or both to reduce our population numbers honestly because that's where we headed and our industry at the same time probably Um, so we can wait for that to to kick in or we can take some steps ahead and uh, as you've alluded to Getting rid of the concept of waste is is a great place to start, Um, but also several leaps of imagination are required here. And if we can demonstrate that a group of people can arrive, um, I don't know, on Titan... Uh, an interesting moon, the only other body in the solar system that hosts liquid on the surface, not water in this case, um, hydrocarbons, um, but uh, liquid on the surface, let's say it's an interesting place to visit. If a group of people can go there and through 3D printers, extracting different uh, molecules of gas from the atmosphere, extracting different minerals and metals from the rocks um, that make up the, the body, if they can then live there sustainably, um, seeds is one thing they're going to have to not forget from Earth because we're not at the point where we can 3D print seeds from scratch. Um, but if this set of technologies and people can arrive and live in an extreme environment, then I think we've demonstrated that the, the universe is our oyster, if that's mixing too many metaphors. Um, and I think... You know, maybe we deserve to live in more extreme places than Earth because we are not uh, taking the responsibility of coexisting with the amazing diversity of species here on this planet seriously enough. Um, and maybe understanding how, how difficult things can be beyond Earth, but maybe mastering how to live in such environments will teach us the skills to be better stewards of Earth. And I think protecting the the diversity of life that's here is really crucial. So, but on a more on a more practical level, um, you know, the circular economy, or call it what you will, does focus on eliminating waste as a concept in terms of looking at outputs of some process as inputs for other processes. Um, but this is a, a great way to to start thinking. I think so. Wherever you see the word waste being used to describe some aspect of some process. Let's get creative and think about how this can be a resource for another process. Um, Because, you know, the universe is agnostic towards uh, atoms and molecules. Um, You know, we are made of star stuff and so is is plastics. Um, So in that sense, you know, we're all one system made out of the same matter. But how can we become more efficient and more productive in terms of reutilizing these um, instead of extracting straight from the natural world, can we find a way to be more self-sufficient mm-hmm. um, in terms of extracting less from the natural world and, and use reusing many of our resources? Because this will be the way that the settlements on Mars, for example, will be designed. And in some ways, it's easier to design these from scratch rather than you know looking at legacy systems. For example, in Cape Town, there's so many layers of water systems. Um, the ones that the Dutch built in the 1700s, then the ones the British built a few hundred years later, then the new kind of infrastructure on top of that, and trying to manage water in this uh, literal spiderweb of different piping systems to get practical is tricky. Whereas if you're building a system from scratch to be completely um, 100% um watertight let's say so no no molecule of water is lost unless perhaps it's converted into hydrogen or oxygen for other uses um you know that's easier than coming to a system with that many centuries of legacy and trying to you know fix the holes literally in the system um so this is the the benefits i think of of the thoughts experiment or the real experiments of getting to Mars and building such an advanced city from scratch, um, but have really powerful implications, I think, for thinking about new directions here on Earth.
1: So as we close out, uh, and I think this has been a hugely inspirational episode so far, I mean, you've you've really grabbed my attention um, and my curiosity with this. Um, I, I know Prolly Human is looking for volunteers, for example, to join the Offworld project, now, that may be beyond most of our listeners, to be fair, uh, in terms of either desire, maybe, or capability, maybe. But but what would be some of the top tips or, or practical pieces of advice that people can do if they can't volunteer for for, for one of your projects? What, what could they do right now that could really ha- start making a real difference to, to their lives, to the, to the planet, to the organizations they work for that can really make that real difference?
2: So let me start with the the name Proudly Human. And uh, believe it or not, I've even had some objections to the name saying, how can you feel a sense of pride in the midst of this era? <laughs> so that's almost purposeful um, because uh, to be extremely blunt, um, I think it was Albert Camus who said there's there's only real one real philosophical question, and that's whether to kill yourself or not. So <laughs> without being too dramatic yet blows close up, That is a question I think we we all need to consider. Are we giving up on where we are as humans or are we trying to harness that sense of of pride with whatever minimal (laughs) ways we can do that or or maximal, hopefully? But I think if not with pride, you know, how can we reflect on the journeys and the bravery and the passion of our ancestors and all that have come before us? And if not with pride, you know, how can we go forth and create a a future that? Upcoming generations will will participate in, so it's a great time to reflect on I think what it means to be human in a much broader uh, perspective than than just the project. So what what could people do to to assist with the proudly human project? Um, to get specific. And we're a fundamentally collaborative project. So, to learn from where Mars One was not successful, namely to raise billions of dollars to kind of single handedly pull off this most ambitious uh, journey, um, we have decided to circumpass the whole finance thing altogether. So, you, you might be curious how this works. We only do uh, in kind exchanges. Um, and partnerships in terms of trying to achieve our goals. So whatever aspects of the project we require, whether it's the shelter systems, whether it's the power systems, water management, wastewater management, atmospheric water extraction, desalination um, through to the agricultural systems where we'll grow food in indoor environments, up to the communications, which will be satellite based for all parts of the planet. And um, we work with technology partners who see value in building the prototypes for our specific experiments that benefit their, their own journey from an engineering perspective um, and from a showcasing perspective, because, in fact, we will run a documentary series in each of the locations where we take our teams and set up the infrastructure from scratch. So what a great way to showcase the kinds of, for example, wastewater management systems. Um, So Techs is our partner in Canada. They're fascinated with the extremely hot environment like the desert, And they are creating a system for us that runs on a couple of hundred watts, and that can transform up to a thousand liters of wastewater a day into agricultural grade water. So this is just one example of, um, you know, amazingly low power systems that can be used to provide water for agriculture for a group of 10, in this case, people um, living in a desert. Um, so this is the trade exchange agreement that we have with each of our partners and um, we are in discussion with major broadcasters um, to expose people all over the planet to the kinds of thinking and the kind of adventures that we embark on and also then to give exposure to all of our technology um, partners who have developed the prototypes um, so on the one hand anyone working in technology who would like to test something, who would like to generate data perhaps in an unusual setting um, because these people will sort of sign their lives away, um, myself included when we go to these places. There'll be urine sample analysis, I've told you, all of the facial expression, you know, there will be a lot of data generated. So if anyone is interested in testing some technological system and creating data from that, that would be open source that different people can play with. This is an ideal opportunity. And then on the on the people, the community side, let's say we are looking for for all sorts of different people to join us, whether it's um, in the desert, under the ocean, and Antarctica, and we'll repeat in each of these environments. So if people would like to run a project while they are there, that would uh, this kind of environment would be good for that, then that's of course uh, open to project proposals, and um I'm completely open-minded to what kind of uh, projects we might want to incorporate there, whether it's done personally or remotely by someone um, who has an idea for that. Um but on to go back to the general perspective, I think uh, personally, having reflected on on what it is to be human, Um, I think at the core of our humanity is our ability to imagine a reality beyond the one that we are currently experiencing. I think this aspirational quality of being human is perhaps uh, one of the core features um, of, of who we are. And so let us harness this capability um, in order to start creating a reality um, that we can be proud of, um, one that uh, is better, if there's such a a way to describe it, than the sort of confused state that our, our species seems to be in now. Um, But our ability to turn our questions into knowledge that we are then able to share with the global communication system, perhaps an interplanetary communication system, um, is another feature that enables us to aspire even further. So, you know, instead of focusing on the negative aspects of where we are currently as a society, I think let's let's take a step back and think what is at the core of our being. Um, and I think this curiosity and this desire to explore are, are features that we should focus on. And in that way, exploration of space is really a, a perfect reflection and activity of who we are. Um, and therefore a really exciting period for for our species, um, I believe we can make it through this era successfully. And I believe that uh, our perspective of ourselves and uh, where we are in reality from not one, but more than one planet will, will be that, you know, that extra, yeah, that extra perspective that that will give us will be exactly what we need to enter with pride into the next glorious era, hopefully, for our species
1: adriana, that's that's been tremendous. I, I find myself so uplifted by by what you've been talking to us about about the the possibilities going forwards certainly hopefully invite you back to another podcast in the future and maybe we host it from Titan maybe uh, to, to really draw on some of the technology. I'm not sure WiFi'll stretch out there just yet, but maybe technology will have moved on by then. I, I can't thank you enough and I'm, and I'm sure Michael is the same. Your insights and your way of expressing you know just what it's like to be human, I think has been so fantastic. Uh, and I'm sure our, our our audience are going to listen to this with interest and also continue to follow your progress and Proudly Human's progress going forwards now. And maybe somebody might also be compelled to to sign up and volunteer and join the project as well. So thank you very much for your time.
2: Thanks so much, Simon. Thanks so much, Michael. It's been a real pleasure. And look forward to dialing in from uh, Titan or somewhere else in the solar system next time with some updates. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Wow. What a conversation. I'm going to hand straight over to you. Uh, I, I want to get your immediate reflection on that just amazing conversation with Adriana.
1: Oh, that was everything I was looking for, and much more. I've I've come away feeling inadequate. <laughs> I'm just not doing enough. <laughs> yeah, the the inspiration you can draw from from someone like Adriana is just immense. But yeah, I think what resonated was when she was talking about. Actually, when you look at the heart of all of those things, there's still the fundamentals that, that drives everybody. You know, the, the, the requirement to put food on the table or to sustain what we're doing. All of those fundamental principles still exist in everything we do, whether it be to go to another planet or whether it just be to feed the billions on our own planet that are, that are struggling at the moment. I, I love the way she drew it back to about being human. You know, our podcast is called The Human Factor, and she was able to articulate that wonderfully about the human qualities that help drive progression, you know, the curiosity and, and the desire to, to look at pushing the extremes and to starting to get uncomfortable. We heard it in the episode with Meg, didn't we, where you know, embrace the awkward or well, embrace the extreme as well, I think, in some circumstances. But, you know, I think
0: you, you wanted to build on that, didn't you, about uh, leaning in? It's a huge thing, isn't it? We've, we've talked about leaning in throughout. I think many of the episodes have talked about change and dealing with this vortex of change and thinking about the contributions that we make. I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, listen, you, you know, you said about feeling inadequate. I was just completely riveted in, in, in terms of how far away this is from my imagination. So I I suppose for me, listening to the conversation, I'm trying to bridge where I am to where this could be. And I think that's the real inspiration and tying it back again, as you mentioned to the podcast and and, and why did we start this? If I anchor this back, Adriana talked about what is your contribution? Now there's a relativity to that, but I think that is a really profound question. What is your contribution? What are you adding? You know, if we're to prosper and to thrive in the future and have pride in the future, we've got to get uh, we've got to get really comfortable with the unknown but then i think that word courage came up again for me today the courage to go beyond to seek to learn and then to bring it back i mean that was the whole thing i thought the analogy of going to antarctica with scott etc all those years ago that's what they were doing they didn't know what they were going into they had to set it all up and then they came back and they taught us all about it this is the next thing isn't it this 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 is it going to mars and learning and sending it back wow fantastic what an inspiring human being so grateful to adriana for being a guest and spending time today so i'm gonna go and have my customary cup of tea because i absolutely need one um We will look forward to the next few episodes, but until then, goodbye.